Well, good morning, Highland Park. My name is Brian, and it's really good to be with you today. I get to preach here at Highland Park and uh, uh, help serve many of you along with you in many different ways. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 2. We'll be there in just a little bit. But first, I want to explain to you, many of you are probably wondering, why is this series called Skinny Santa? You've seen the the cover art perhaps on the bulletin or on the screen or uh, through social media. So I'm going to tell you why. Because last year, people who put their Christmas on credit cards went into debt an average of $1,003 per person. And what's worse is the average person was still paying for that debt come April. And what's even worse is 20% of young adults are still paying for that debt today. Christmas can be rough on us. Sometimes Black Friday turns into Black and Blue Friday because people are struggling with uh, all that went on. And let's face it, we've gotten a little bit fat with Christmas. And maybe we need to be a little bit skinnier because Christmas can be too fat on our wallets Christmas can be too fat on our schedules. Anyone already stressed out because you're so overbooked with office parties and school functions and programs and family events that you're required to go to and maybe even too many of those. And it feels like sometimes Christmas is just a little bit fat on our calendars. And I mean, let's be honest, sometimes it's not so great on our waistlines either. Sometimes we look a little more like Santa every year. But what if I told you that Santa did not start off that way. He actually started off as a skinny preacher, and he he helped people who most needed his help. He helped people in need. So for the next four weeks, we're going to tell you one story every Sunday about the original Santa, and then we're going to talk about, of course, the real story of of the season, the birth of Jesus. But let me just make one thing really clear to you. Um, Many of you have younger children, and we are not going to take the spot of parents in doing what you want to do with Santa, okay? But here's some ways that if your kid asks you about it, you might say, we're going to talk about Saint Nick. He was one of Santa's heroes. That might be a way. Or that was before the North Pole, and here's a story. But we're going to let parents do whatever you want to do with Santa, okay? That's up to you. I'm not going to blow it from the stage during our Christmas program on December 23rd and ruin your Christmas, okay? You can do whatever you want to do with that. But it is pretty fascinating to hear the story of St. Nick. And each week, we'll be looking in one of these stockings back here at something. I'm going to pull this stocking off. And, and seeing what's in this stocking. And today, here it is. We actually have three bags. And in these bags, if I open this up here, we have some coins. And these probably aren't the coins that St. Nick had, but it will kind of help us introduce story number one of Skinny Santa. So watch this video and you'll hear a story that many of you maybe have never heard before. Everyone knows Santa's story once he got to the North Pole, but what did he do before then? Santa was born in the modern day country of Turkey, which sounds more like Thanksgiving than Christmas. 
and he hadn't started eating all those cookies we leave for him yet, so he was quite skinny. His parents were very wealthy, and when they died, they left him a large inheritance. Santa didn't want to be selfish, so he decided to help as many people as possible with his money. Just down the road from Santa, a family with three daughters ran out of money and didn't even have anything to eat. Their only hope for the daughters to stay alive was for them to get married, but they didn't have the money to do so. When Saint Nick heard about this family, he knew he had to help, but he wanted to do it secretly. So on three different nights, while the family was asleep, he went by their house and threw a small bag of gold in the window that was enough for each daughter's wedding. But on the last night, the father stayed up to see who was giving the gold to his daughters. When the bag of gold came in the window, the father ran out and chased down Santa, tackled him, thanked him profusely, and praised God for saving his daughters' lives. But that's not all. Rumor has it when Santa threw one of the bags of gold through the window, it landed in one of the daughter's socks that she had drying by the fireplace. And that's how Santa got his start delivering gifts into people's stockings at night. I'm curious, how many knew that story? That's a true story. I would say that's about 2% of us, 3% of it. Isn't that amazing that we actually don't know the story of the stockings? And I, I think it's fabulous that there's actually a story behind those things that's pretty heartwarming. And honestly, we cleaned up the video just a little bit uh, so that it could also be kid-friendly. But the father wasn't really looking at needing to sell his daughters into marriage it actually, the father was looking at prostitution as the only way that his daughters could earn income for them to make a living, for them to just survive. Can you imagine being that desperate as a father, that that's your only opportunity to live? It would have been horrible. And yet, here comes St. Nick to the rescue, secretly uh, doing something to save a life. Right now, in our world, about one-sixth of the world's population lives on less than a dollar a day. And another one-sixth of the world's population lives on less than two dollars a day. There are a lot of people in need. And, and those needs cause people to do lots of desperate things. Sometimes we look with uh, being judgmental of somebody and saying, I can't believe they would ever do that, but we maybe can't quite understand why they did that, the situation that they were in that brought them there. There's another need in our world, and that is the need for people to hear that there is good news. Because Nick believed in Jesus, Jesus had changed his heart to do good things, wonderful things, loving things. And when a world doesn't have the hope and the motivation and, and the passion that Jesus gives to people, it's a dark place. If you talk to missionary organizations, they would tell you that a people group or a country or nation is considered unreached if there's fewer than 2% Christians there. And, and so that's kind of the, the term for that. And missionary groups often talk about going to unreached people groups or unreached places. We'll be telling you more about missionaries we support that are doing this really great work throughout this, throughout this month. But here's what I know. I know that God loves every person, even those who are so far from him, who have, who have never heard the gospel, who have, have gone through generations without hearing the name Jesus. God loves those people every bit as much as he loves you and me. That is our conviction as Christians. So we care for all people, and when we hear stats like this, 
one worker for every 1.6 million unreached people. It breaks our hearts. We want to do something about that. See, for too long with the season of Christmas, we've gotten things backwards. We've been asking, what am I going to get for Christmas? What are you going to get for Christmas? And we want to challenge you to flip that around this month and beyond and begin asking, what am I going to give this Christmas? What are you going to give this Christmas? What can we together give this Christmas? Nick's example of using his wealth to give three gifts, three bags of gold to a family in need. But that probably reminds you of a Bible story in Matthew chapter 2 where somebody else gave three gifts. And so that's where we want to read today. Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to begin in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The text tells us that King Herod was disturbed when he heard this news of a new king. And if you lived in that area, it was bad news when Herod became disturbed. Because when he became disturbed, he just started killing people. He just started causing all types of disaster. So if Herod is disturbed, you're disturbed. Everyone is disturbed. And he finds out there may be a threat to his throne. I mean, he had killed his own children before, worried about some of them taking over his throne. He'd kill you too. So when Herod is disturbed, that's an understatement. And so he concocts this, this plot of, I'll have the wise men who are going do my spy work for me. They'll find out where this Messiah, this king that the prophets have been talking about will be born, and then I'll go and finish the job. That's his plan. And we get to the story of the wise men. We don't know a whole lot about them. They were probably somewhat of a mix between astronomers and scientists and astrologers, uh, they're kind of a, a different mix, but they've come a long ways. And by the way, we think that this story probably happened not right at the time of the birth, but um, somewhere maybe a year, year and a half, almost two years after Jesus was born. So when we do the nativity scene at our house, we always have the, the wise men kind of a long ways away. They're over on the piano, and uh, the rest of the nativity scene is over here because they're still journeying across the living room to get all the way there. Um, which makes for a fun nativity scene. 
But we don't know exactly when it was, but it's a little bit later. Jesus is probably not an infant, like a, a toddler at this point almost. And so uh, they, they are on this journey, and they have no idea the impact that they'll have. They know something special is about to happen. But I just want to point out three um, things that, that we need to see from this text. And this text is just dripping with so much stuff, we don't even have time to talk about all of it. But I want to point out three things today. And the first is this. The wise men gave life-saving gifts. See, we, we sometimes talk about the gifts, but we don't often talk about what they did with them. Did Joseph and Mary, like, immediately run to the casino that night, be like, yeah, we got some gold? No. We don't think they probably did that. Uh, we know from the sacrifices they made after the birth of the temple that they were poor. They would have been considered lower class. They didn't have much money. But do you remember here at the end of this, right at the end of this section, what happens? Joseph is warned in a dream, Herod's coming for you. Get out of there. Run. And so he and Mary and young Jesus bolt for Egypt as refugees running for all they can into a distant land. We don't know if they knew anybody there or not, but we know very little about that time period other than they run for their lives. How did they pay for it? Maybe with some of that gold the wise men had given them. We don't know. We know that they survived. They made it, so they must have had something. And my guess is that these gifts came in handy, these three gifts. What if... What if this gift was part of God's plan all along for the survival of Jesus, Joseph, and Mary to make it to the next part of the story and the next part of the story? The wise men gave these life-saving gifts. And I want to tell you something. You can make life-saving gifts as well. You can give a gift that will change a life. I bet you when you think back in your life, there have been people who gave you something. Maybe it was financial Maybe it was a car or they helped you with a house payment and it saved your life. You don't know how you would have survived otherwise. Sometimes, some of you got a bag of groceries on your front step and you don't know how you would have eaten that day. Some of you were given a different type of gift. You, somebody spoke words of encouragement to you at a time when you were so devastated. Somebody came and hugged you and just spent time with you when you most needed it. Somebody came and prayed with you Somebody came and sat down and said, can I tell you about the hope I have in Jesus? And it changed your life forever. They gave you the gift of time, of friendship, of encouragement. And you can give that kind of gift to someone else, a life-saving gift. Those are the good gifts. Those are the fun gifts. But sometimes when you give them, you don't know if it's going to save someone's life. So you just give gifts generously. And God will use that as he does. Second thing I want to point out today is the wise men were some of the least likely to participate in this story. I mean, really, somebody who's studying the stars all day, and we've already had the shepherds, so this is kind of like opposite ends of the spectrum here as far as academics go. Uh, yet, God takes these people. The book of Matthew is written primarily with a Jewish slant to a Jewish audience. Uh, the rest of the gospel is not quite so much as Matthew. And yet, here Matthew tells the story of these wise men who would not have been Jewish, who foreigners who come from this different place, who study these stars. We don't know a whole lot about them, but they enter the story, and God uses them in this incredible way. And I suppose 
Some of you feel like you would be the most least likely character in a story as well, a story in which God wants to use you. But I want to tell you, if you feel like, well, I'm the most least likely person in the world to be used by God, that probably means get ready. Because we just, I love the Bible. We read through the Bible and you think, well, that's a pretty unlikely character. Well, that's a pretty unlikely, that's even a more unlikely character. God uses unlikely people just like you and just like me. And so never believe the lie from the enemy that you're no good, that your story doesn't count, that you can't do anything, that there's no place for you in God's work and in God's story and what he's doing on this planet. There absolutely is. If you're an unlikely person, you're a likely candidate in God's story. There's a third thing. The wise men did not understand how greatly their gifts would be used. I mean, imagine riding a camel thousands of miles or however far they went to give a gift to a newborn king, yet not understanding what that gift would do. Maybe when they turned around and they tricked Herod and they went another way so that King Herod would not find out, maybe at some point they started thinking, oh, they're going to have to run for it. Man, I, I, I hope what we gave them enough because they're going to have to get out of town. Maybe at some point they realized that. Maybe they heard stories from other people. Maybe they kept tabs on what was happening. Maybe they never knew. We don't really know. But they, they could not have known the significance of their gift to this child who would become, without a doubt, the most influential person in the history of the world. We're still talking and worshiping, talking about and worshiping him today. I hope that he's changed your life. He's changed my life. He continues to change my life. And the history books and uh, literature tells us that Jesus really lived, and he really died, and he really rose on the third day, and you got to do something with that. You have to decide, will this story change my life or not? The wise men could not have known how greatly it would change millions of people's lives. Later on in the book of Matthew, in chapter 25, Jesus is telling this story, uh, giving us a vision, a, a picture, one of many that we get, about how things will end. And he says this, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. If you're familiar with Matthew 25, you know that's not the only part of the story. The other part of the story is Jesus telling the bad news to those who thought they had followed Jesus, but had not fed the poor, had ignored the hungry, never visited the sick, never cared for people. And it was, I, I can't imagine how your stomach would turn upside down when Jesus begins to say, you never took care of me. I was hungry and you did nothing. You never helped me. You never cared for me. You never did anything. And to know that 
that was you? Like how I treated them is how I treated you? And Jesus said, yeah. And so this December, we want to invite you to live skinny in three different ways. And, and let me just give you three practical ways. The first is this. We want you to share skinny. In other words, share about what we're doing here at Highland Park. Share about how God is making a difference in your life and you want to live skinnier with a skinnier wallet and calendars and even waistline, that you want, to, you want to be disciplined in your life. You want to be skinny so that you can have a lot to give to others, that you don't want to just think about getting, but you want to think about giving. We want, wanted to invite you to share skinny. I, I was playing ball with a group of guys this week, and it was all done, and we were kind of standing around, panting, trying to catch our breath, and I said, hey, do you guys have any, does anybody, I'm just curious, does anybody have any clue uh, how we got the whole tradition of the stockings? And they all looked at me and like, no. And I told them this story. And they were like, really? And I said, yeah. And I used that as a way to say, I would love for you to come to Highland Park as we're talking about these different stories. I'm not going to tell you the rest of the stories because I want you to come and to listen. But we're focusing on what we can give. And so even these stories that we heard can be a way that you can talk to somebody else who's unchurched, who needs a church home, and a church family to care for them and to love them and grow them and to let them know the hope that we have in Christ. So I want to ask you to share Skinny, to personally invite people to come with you over the next several weeks to this series. The second thing I want to do, the second challenge is to go Skinny. That means that you actually figure out what does it mean for me to go Skinny over December? Is there something that I can live without? Is there a gift that I need to say, maybe one less gift this year? Maybe we don't need quite as many. I know as parents, we fall into this trap, and as grandparents and as aunt and uncle, we can all do this. But we can think, okay, I've got to give my kid the greatest gift in the history of the world again. It's a lot of pressure. Because <laughs> maybe last Christmas was pretty cool. And it's almost like this pressure we feel like we're bad parents if we don't do this. And I'm going to tell you that I actually think you can give your kids something greater than the new greatest thing. What if you instilled with your kids the gift of generosity? I mean, really, who do you want them to be as adults? Don't you want them to be the most generous people on the planet who love to give? I'm not saying put nothing under the tree. I'm not saying that. But I'm thinking about how can you go skinny? How, how can you do without something? Maybe for some of you, you're, uh, you know, five days a week, you're eating lunch out every, every day. What if two of those days um, you brought lunch and you went a little skinny on eating out expenses? Uh, what if uh, you said, hey, next Friday is the only free night of the week we have as a family or with my friends? I am marking it off and nothing else goes on there. And if people ask, I tell, tell them I'm booked. And you spend that time so that your calendar, you can go a little skinnier on your calendar just to be with your family and your friends and the people you love so you don't feel like you're going 100 miles an hour all the time. What if you just figure out ways that you can cut back on a few things so that you can give a lot? You see these stockings on the chairs. Those are not decorations for the rest of the series. We actually want every family to take one home. And if you want to reach out and grab one now, you can. It may not work out perfectly, perfectly with every row, but we, we know that we have enough in here for every family to take one of these stockings home. So we want you to take one home. 
Uh, the kids are all getting these stockings right now downstairs, and they're actually going to be decorating theirs. And I know that some of you will want to decorate your stocking as well, and that's fine. Take it home and decorate it. But we want every family to take a stocking home, and we want you to put it somewhere. And uh, whether uh, you're at a home by yourself or you have a huge family with you, we want you to put that stocking there, and we want you to talk to anybody else in your household and say, hey, how can we go skinny? And every time you go skinny on something, so maybe you don't eat out lunch or you sacrifice one gift, that would have been $20. You take that $20 and you put it in that stocking. You take that lunch expense of 8 bucks and you put it in that stocking. Um, however you want to do that. You, you're smart. You can figure it out. But what we want you to do is to save up extra money that you would have typically spent on something else, put it in that stocking, and on December 23rd, we're going to all bring our stockings back on that Sunday. It's going to be Family Worship Sunday. We're going to have services at 9.30 and also 11 because we'll have a larger crowd that day, special Christmas program. So we want you to be here for one of those services. We want you to bring that stocking, and we'll actually have a second offering that time, that day, where you or a kid or a grandkid with you um, can take that stocking and actually empty it out into a container. And all of that money is going to go towards our special mission focus this week. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later, but we, we want you to go skinny this month so that you can give above and beyond what you maybe ever thought that you could, and that will be fun to do. It'll be really fun. The third thing we want you to do is to think about how you can live skinny. That means that you don't just do a one-month thing. You start with one month, but then you think about moving into January. How can I continue some of these habits of living skinny? of cutting back on some things that clutter my life and that take out too much from my savings or what I would be giving and instead begin living a little differently. At Highland Park, we've taught people uh, that the biblical principles are that with finances and really everything else, including time, I believe, you give first. You set aside that to give first. And then you save next because you'll use those savings for a, an emergency need or a great opportunity to help someone. Something will come up. It always does. And then you live off the rest. That's the pattern. You give first, because if you don't give first, you'll never give at all. Or you'll give very little. And you'll feel kind of guilty about that, and you'll wish that you could do more. But if you give first, you'll break down the grip of pride and, and selfishness and greed. By giving first, it does that. And then you save next, and then you live off all of the rest. That's the principle from Scripture that we want to encourage you to put in place not only this month, but moving forward. And we want you to live skinny so that you can give your time as well. What if you were living so skinny that you could say yes to a foster child? What if you were saying, living so skinny that you could quickly help your neighbor in need? What if you were living so skinny that you had time to go to the nursing home and visit a friend every day? What if you were living that skinny with your life so that you had time to give? I want to invite you to live skinny. You know, kids love Santa. Well, most kids love Santa. Some are scared when you put them on the stranger's lap. But kids love Santa because they feel loved by Santa. And kids will love you if they feel loved by you. That's the great thing about children. They just want to know that you love them. But adults are really oftentimes the same way. And we want to encourage you to love people this Christmas season. And sometimes we can't love people if we're so overstuffed and overspent with everything else in our lives. The greatest gift ever given, we read about in John 3.16, 
It says, for God so loved the world that he gave one and only son. He gave. God is a generous God, and we love and serve him. And this morning, if you would like to find out more about what it means to follow Jesus with your life and to turn your life around and give your life to him, I want you to know that Jesus loves you and he cared for you and he can use your life in his story in a way that will be the greatest thing in your life and in the lives of other people. That God wants to use you and he cares for you and he died for you. Well, some folks just up front over here on this side, if you'd like to come up and uh, have someone pray with you or visit with you, just quietly up here, we'd be glad to do that. If you'd like to write on your Connect card that you want to study with someone this week or talk with someone further, there's a place for you to mark that on that card, and we'd be glad to meet with you and study with you and pray with you this week. If you would, would you stand up and allow me to pray for us? And we welcome you to just spend this time after this uh, praying quietly where you are, singing along with us, seeing what God wants to do to direct your life. God, we thank you that you are such a generous God. You gave everything, living fully skinny, emptying yourself of all comfort so that you could give to us the gift of eternal life. And we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.